0: Hello and welcome back to what do you know for sure podcast with me and Hughes and for this episode I was joined by Catherine Manning who is in Washington DC so it's always nice to have a conversation from a slightly different culture and we were chatting about that workplaces need to be more compassionate and trauma informed this was a fascinating conversation, I have to say. Catherine had one of the ca- most common voices, I think, that I've had on the podcast. Lots to think about and here about how we show up in our workplaces. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: It is. Tell us a bit about you, Catherine
1: i am a wife and mother i'm a lawyer and i'm the author of the empathetic workplace five steps to a compassionate calm and confident response to trauma on the job wow
0: and you've also told me that you're in washington dc i am yes so gosh i wonder how that shows up in your life In America as well. (laughs) Uh, You know, we've all got a wee bit of a thing about what must it be like to live in America. So um, I know that you've been thinking about it, Catherine. Tell me, what do you know for sure?
1: What I know for sure is that we need workplaces to become more trauma-informed. We need our organisations to be more compassionate, caring, human-centred, heart-centred. If we're going to succeed on an organisational level, a team level, and a world humanity level. So interesting. And I really agree. I do work
0: in the, the charity sector in the UK. And often I work with organisations, just short-term bits of work in I think, oh my goodness, these people in this organisation are just slightly traumatised by the work they do because a lot of the work organisations are doing is very difficult. But their internal processes, their internal behaviours, the culture that's been created is so damaging to individuals and their wellbeing. Like, I'm very much like, if you can fix the culture in here, your productivity will rise so much. Because people can't be productive when they feel the way they do. So I suppose what made you write that book? Why did that come into your life that you were talking
1: about workplace and trauma and compassion in the workplace and everything? You know, I am somebody, I had a family history of domestic violence. You know, my mom fortunately had the resources and she was able to leave. But that early experience kind of shaped me Mm -hmm. and so as soon as I got to college I started working on the hotline at the local domestic violence shelter I did that. I did rape crisis work for a little while. Um, And that is what motivated me to go to law school. And after law school, I ended up at the U.S. Department of Justice. And my role there, I wasn't a prosecutor. I was the advisor on how you work with victims. Mm. And so I did policy and training and consulting on cases all about how do we make sure that victims have a voice in criminal proceedings and have the support that they need. Over time, a few things started to become more clear to me. One was that people didn't need different things based on what they were a victim of. You know, there's often this sense that like white collar crime victims, fraud victims are maybe they don't have as much need or, you know, everybody kind of has these impressions about like who has it worst. Um, And I just didn't see it that way. What I saw even in fraud cases, we had, Suicides, we had people whose lives were just turned upside down. And, um, it just made me realize that you can't ever really judge what somebody else is going through. You, you know, don't, don't look at it through your own lens of like, Oh, to me, being defrauded would be worse than being, you know, hit or something like that. Well, you don't know what, what it is for that person. And so just don't um don't have your own impression about what, whether it's bad enough to really count as something where somebody needs help mm. um and then the other thing was that Like I I had been gathering all these skills on how do you support victims and I'd learned everybody needs to feel heard. Everybody needs to get a little help getting on their feet again. Um, and I started to realize that I was using those skills with my coworkers too, Mm. that it wasn't just the victims who needed that kind of support. If I had a coworker who's, um, who was going through a divorce or whose father was dying or, you know, even somebody who had a boss who was really being, um, kind of mean, you know, aggressive, a bully. Everybody needed that same kind of support, it seemed like, when they were going through a hard time. And so I realized because I had that skill, I was able to help people get back to work faster. Like, let me just give you a quick example, if you don't mind. I I was working with a guy, he was a friend of mine, he was a lawyer, um, and his boss in a big meeting with, you know, 30 or 40 people, she belittled him in front of everybody and made him feel really dumb. And he came into my office and he was pacing back and forth and back and forth in front of my desk. And he's he's talking really fast. And he's repeating himself. And, he's, and I realized I was talking to him the same way I would have talked to a victim on a hotline call 20 years earlier. Yeah. You know, he needed that same kind of active listening and validation and because i had the skills and i knew how to do that the conversation was 5 minutes he was able to go back to work i was able to go back to work he didn't do really dumb anything really dumb like go walk into his off- boss's office and yell at her or something like that we were all able to get back to work more quickly because he had a place to go at work where he knew he could share what he was feeling and and get compassionate listening and response and It was really around then that I started thinking, we all have to get better at this. And in particular, I guess when Me Too happened in 2018, Me Too I thought was great in so many ways. um, These were issues I've been thinking about for so long, and I was glad people were talking about them. But I also felt kind of frustrated by Me Too, because I felt like it put so much on survivors. Yeah. Like, share your story. Everybody needs to hear your story. I, I was having friends texting me saying, Do I have to share my story? I've never told anybody. And, but I feel like I'm letting down the side if I don't like, post on Facebook, like these really personal stories about myself. And I thought, No, it is not your job. You don't have a responsibility to share your story. But also, if you do choose to share your story, the listener has a responsibility to listen in a certain way, to provide you support, see if you need help. And I just felt like that was missing again and again. People would share their story, and it was like this instant, is she lying, is she crazy, is she getting paid? You know, I just felt like there was um, a real... I don't know, absence of the kind of support people needed. And that's when I started working on the book because I thought, I think that people don't even understand what they're not doing and why it's bad that they're not doing it, but also they don't know how to do it right. And so the book is the five steps to a compassionate response to trauma on the job. So somebody shares their story of trauma with you, what do you do um, in response to that? Yeah, and I suppose one person's trauma is
0: very different to another person's trauma, isn't it? And so mm-hmm. I suppose how do you inform your book and therefore inform the reader and the person that wants to put that into action? Because I feel as if like there could be something that I haven't survived that I would think, well, it wasn't that traumatic, I'm all right. But for somebody else, it would have been an absolute end of the world or vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. and that we don't belittle people's like the the example I think of. My mom died when I was a kid. When people in their seventies are telling me that their mom died, I can probably lack a wee bit of compassion there because I think you kept your mom till you were seven, <laughs> right? Right. But I've dealt with my loss. It's made me the resilient person I am. I would believe, and therefore, their loss is probably worse because they had a mum for 70 years so Mm. so it's about it's understanding isn't it about just because I wouldn't find it traumatic doesn't mean it's not someone else's trauma and just because they wouldn't find my trauma traumatic doesn't mean it's not mine and there's there's no competition in that so how do you get around
1: that in the book yeah it's so important you know Uh, the the definition of trauma I use is a psychological injury that affects your performance because I'm talking about the workplace so this is not like I need the manager to go and question you about your childhood or anything like that right Uh it's it's just is there something going on that's affecting your ability to perform in the ways that you need and want to and if so let's get you some help and it's like you said it's it's individual. It's not um like I had a a, um, a company once come to me and say, here's what we want to do because we wanna we wanna be supportive of our workforce. And this was during COVID, and they said, We're gonna find out every one of our employees who lost an immediate family member to COVID, and we're gonna go with a special email to them that says we're so sorry for your loss and here are our resources for you and you know, and and really just try to be very supportive of them. And I said, I don't think you should do that. And here's why, like for one person, that loss might not have been that bad. You know, I mean, when my father died, you know, I hadn't seen him since I was like very young and all day long at at work, everybody was saying, I can't believe you're here. You should just go home. Poor you, you know, how awful that you lost your dad. And I'm thinking, I just don't want to talk about it. Can you just let me get back to my work? I'm really okay. Um, And all of those responses of like, oh, poor you just made me feel worse because like I was not having the right kind of reaction or something. Uh Whereas for somebody else, you can imagine maybe the person who she lost to COVID was her ex-boyfriend who she always thought she was going to marry. And then he died. And- For her, she would not have gotten that email because it wasn't an immediate family member, but she's devastated. She can't even get out of bed in the morning because her whole life looks different than she thought it would be. But she doesn't get the email. And even if you later said, oh, no, it's fine for you to use them, she would always feel a little like, well, they're not really there for me. What I'm feeling is doesn't really count. So I just want us to get away from all of that judging. And does this count as trauma or not? Just does somebody need help? And if so, get it for them and as a corollary to that it's also just meet the person where they are you know don't assume oh you've lost your father you must be feeling this because that's what I would be feeling if I lost my father yeah. mm-hmm. instead it's just look at them and say like how are you is there anything I can do to help and, and then listen to what they say
0: and you know I think that meet the person where they are is a wisdom that serves in all areas of your life, actually, doesn't it? For my most of my career, I was a fundraiser in the charity sector. And so every fund, I wouldn't have any anticipation of, well, I know that you just sold your company for five million, so I know what I'm going to ask you for. I would always meet them where they are. And if they weren't ready to have that conversation, then I wasn't going to have it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about us understanding that everything's not going to go the way we think it's going to go. We need to see where the person is. Isn't there, and that's just about—I don't know—that's about just being human beings together, and it's people meeting people. It's not a HR manager meeting an employee. It's two colleagues meeting each other in in the the restroom or in you know in the cafeteria, and they should just speak to each
1: other like two human beings, shouldn't they? absolutely and, and i think um i think you're so right and i feel like that's kind of the whole message of your podcast which i love i think sometimes in the workplace it gets a little harder you know we feel like in a workplace we have to be always so professional and buttoned down and i remember once when i was at work at the justice department we had a lot of contractors who would come in and sometimes they were um they were only there for like a few weeks and yeah. they would leave and often I didn't even really learn their names or what they were working on which I feel terrible about but yeah. it was just kind of you know people were cycling in and out and I remember one time I was walking down the hall and I kind of glanced and saw one of the contractors she was sitting in her office and she was crying at her desk and I thought I don't know who that woman is I don't know what she's crying about <laughs> is it appropriate for me to go talk to her? Would that make her feel worse? And I kind of thought about it for a second. I went to the coffee machine and then on the way back, she was still crying. And so I just like very tentatively, like I read her name on the nameplate, and I poked my head in and I said, Hey, are you okay? And I was ready to just run away if she was like you know, offended by that or just like wanted privacy, but she didn't. She was actually very grateful that I poked my head in and she talked to me a little bit about what was going on for her. It was maybe five, 10 minute conversation, but she seemed to feel better afterward. And then When I left the Justice Department a year later, that was, I think, the only conversation I ever had with her other than hello in the hallway. But she came to my goodbye party and took me aside and said, you know, I just have to let you know how meaningful that was, that I was new as a contractor and I didn't really know anybody. And the fact that you took that time to talk to me really made such an impact. And I just want to thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I think, again, like in a workplace, sometimes we feel this like... I don't know, are we going to be too personal? Are we crossing boundaries? But we don't have to cross boundaries. It's just ask an open-ended question and and be a human. You know, remember that we're all humans here in this workplace. (laughs)
0: Exactly. And like you, I would probably have stopped and asked the person how how they were. And I would have been okay if they just told me to go. I think Mm it's about us having an awareness that we are two human beings. And that's the, the kind thing to do. It's the compassionate thing to do. And I think when I have interactions like that, like you're saying, for, for you it was 10 minutes. But for her, a year later, she still had to come and acknowledge that to you because it had such meaning. And you never know the impact of that kindness. So even if you feel a wee bit vulnerable in doing it,
1: people should still do it, shouldn't they? Because what would you like if rules were reversed? Absolutely. And I mean, I have to confess, I am, I am like a list maker, schedule agenda person. I love lists so much that sometimes I put on my to do list the things I've already done just so I can cross it off and feel (laughs) (laughs) like I love being able to check things off of the list. But and so I have this tendency to like, Oh, I don't have time. you know i have I have a million things to do, but I was thinking recently about a time when my son had just started daycare, and i you know I got him all. he was a baby, right? I got him all dressed up and put him in the daycare and then got my cup of tea and I went into my coworker's office, which is what I always used to do at the time and I sat down and she said, "How are you doing?" And I just burst into tears. <laughs> Because, you know, I had to leave my baby and it was really hard and she was so great. Like she didn't tell me what I was supposed to do or think or anything. She just handed me a tissue and, you know, let me finish crying. And, you know, I think about that, like that son is now 17 years old. Yeah. I can't tell you a single thing I worked on that entire year, but I remember that conversation. It's those moments of connection that are going to stay with us more than all of the things on our to-do list that day. So it's like you said, it's it's worth it to, to really take that time. It doesn't have to be long, but take that moment to really see the person. And what I think was interesting
0: in what you said there, like she didn't tell you what to do. And I think it's to release people from if you ask somebody if they're okay, that you'll then need to have a solution for the problem. People often would reflect to me that I give such good advice. I don't give advice. (laughs) I listen to what people say until they... And I maybe ask some questions until they realise what their own advice is because they do know, because we all know. We all know what we should do. They just maybe sometimes (laughs) need somebody to ask a couple of questions and then they're like, oh, I feel much better. And it was really that they listened to themselves. I would often reflect to them after it, not that they listened to me. <laughs> so I suppose also to encourage people to do that, to be that caring voice, is to say, you don't need to have the answer. Don't worry that I'm not going to ask them what's wrong because I won't know what to what to
1: tell them to do. You don't need to tell them what to do, don't you not? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, that's so true. And I think especially at work, you know, at work you get um, credit for fixing things for solving problems yeah. and so it becomes this instinct that if somebody at work is upset but you know bothered about something you think oh well i gotta fix this for them but you're absolutely right they they know what the answer is and they know better than you do right <laughs> so it's more just sitting there listening and reflecting back I think that's such a good way to say it it's just you know is it sounds like you're saying this is that right you know what do you think Uh uh-huh and even if they don't know the answer
0: I think being listened to because it's funny you mentioned active listening about there and before we started recording I was talking about how much I love doing this podcast because I listen and (laughs) I get a break from my own head so it's quite nice uh just listening, for someone to feel heard is often the only thing people need. I go into organisations and do work where teams don't get along with each other and it's quite challenging. It's never as complicated as the leaders thought it was. It's always something very small and the people just had to be heard and it had to be acknowledged that, yeah, that was wrong and that happened. I totally agree. And everything starts to fix
1: itself. And it's because as human beings, we just need to be heard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know. I completely agree. I think so often when things are going poorly, what the person needs is just more acknowledgement. Just, yeah. you know, um, a friend was telling me this recently. She had done a training and one woman came up and said, why well, didn't get my materials ahead of time I was supposed to? And the, you know, she and the other organizer were saying, oh, well, this is why you didn't get the materials. And the woman was like, What I didn't get them. And they're like, I know you didn't get them. And finally they said, you know, the woman was just not happy, like could not be satisfied. And finally the woman said, I'm really sorry that you didn't get the materials that you needed to be prepared for the training. And the, the attendee was like, thank you. <laughs> that was all she needed was just, I, you know, I, I was upset and I didn't get what I needed. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) That was all that person needed. But we feel this like, well, I was supposed to fix it. I have to explain it. I have to reframe it. No, just hear the person.
0: Uh Oh, Catherine, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on the
1: podcast and sharing all your wisdom. Thank you so much, Anne. This has been a real delight.
0: Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching and Hughes Ignite.